Welcome, guys, to the JPS podcast, and we are here with my good friend from Sydney, Mr. Evan Godby. Welcome, Evan. Hello. Thanks and for having me on. <laughs> my pleasure, man. And Evan is a WMBF natural pro bodybuilder, and he's got a pretty impressive record uh, in natural bodybuilding, and he's also the owner of Muscle Academy, which is his evidence-based uh, online coaching service and he's dedicated quite a bit of time to helping other competitors compete and has quite an extensive coaching uh, background as well. So Evan has his bachelor's in physiotherapy and is also an accomplished martial artist and has his black belt in karate which is pretty cool and something that I think has helped him uh, have some discipline in his bodybuilding career for sure. And I'm really excited to talk to Evan today because we're going to be discussing his contest prep uh, for 2017 and what he's going to be doing in getting to the stage later this year. So welcome, Evan. I'm excited to talk bodybuilding and see what you're doing, what you're up to and how you plan on going about things this contest prep. So the first thing I want to ask you, Evan, is how long have you allotted for the contest prep diet itself? Um, I think from start to finish, it was 34 weeks between the beginning of the diet and um, uh, the last show that I planned, which is WNBF World. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the first show that I want to do is just an amateur show in Sydney. And I think that was um, something like 28 weeks mm-hmm. from the beginning to end. Awesome. And when you set up your contest prep diet, do you periodize your nutrition or is it very much adjusting as you go, knowing that you have to get to a target body weight, uh, body fat percentage? How do you approach that? Yeah, so um, pretty much it's, it's, uh, it's periodized in the sense that we plan out some diet break periods. So we know that um, what well, we've spoken about, uh, me and my, my coach, is, um, some of you would know, is Alberto Nunes from 3DMJ. Uh, the, uh, yes, the, 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 coming down to the, Melbourne. Yep, coming down to Melbourne in a few weeks, which will be great. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so last time what we did, we did like, um, Mike Isretel would call this a maintenance phase. So we did like a six-week block in the middle of the diet where we basically ate more calories around maintenance. And so this time we're thinking, okay, we're going to do probably just shorter stints of diet breaks um, spaced about every couple of months in, maybe every eight weeks or so, one or two-week diet breaks, um, uh, just to kind of keep things in check. And otherwise, it's more or less um, adjust as you go type of thing. We set up certain uh, calorie or macronutrient uh, values at the beginning, and then we're adjusting as we go. We haven't really made any adjustments at this point except to add a, a third um, high day each week. Um, so we're doing multiple day refeeds. Multiple day refeeds, awesome. So <laughs> in terms of the size of the calorie deficit, I guess uh, in these you know fat loss phases throughout your contest prep, how big is the deficit? Are they quite aggressive or is it pretty slow, moderate? What has been the approach so far? Yeah, so um, uh, we looked at my my maintenance to begin with, or, or what I was eating in the off season. Whether it was maintenance or maybe a slight surplus, it was around thirty six to thirty seven hundred calories, uh, mm-hmm. and we've gone basically straight to twenty nine hundred to three thousand um, for the low days. But having said that, um, I am doing, as I said, three high days. We started with two high days. Um, consecutively each week, and um, that's at around 39 to 4,000, close to 4,000 calories actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, at the moment, more or less half the week is kind of in a surplus, and then we've got kind of some reasonable low days mm-hmm. uh, as well. And I'm doing a fair bit of cardio at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, we've measured that in, in like a calorie amount, so I use a heart rate monitor to measure my cardio, and I'm around 1,200 calories of a lot of cardio every week. Awesome. That's, that's uh, 
seems to be a very sustainable approach, uh, especially at the start of the prep. And you mentioned that you have 2,900 to 3,000 calories on your low days. So in terms of tracking your calorie macronutrient intake, do you have ranges or are you aiming for a specific number? Does this start to tighten up uh, as you get deeper into the prep or is it something that will be pretty constant throughout? Yeah, so, so that's exactly what we do. Um, we have ranges. So I think it's 240 to 250 protein, just speaking for the low days. Um, the carbs are 325 to 335, and the fats are 65 to 75. So it's approximately 2,900 to 3,000 calories or so. Um, and, yeah, that's that's pretty much just what I try to stick to every day. Um, but we also have ranges for the high days. Uh, as we progress into the contest prep, um, does it tighten up? Um, I probably, I, I think last time, just speaking for what we did in 2014, it tightened up a little bit um, just because when I think, like, you know, the fats really tightened up, we wanted to change mm-hmm. that from a 10, 10 uh, gram range to like a 5 gram range, especially when you got it down at like we went pretty low with fat, we were down to like 35 grams of fat. So last time, um, certainly for peak week, it was pretty, uh, you know, tightened up a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really go too nuts because last time I prepped for a long time as well, it was 33 weeks last time. So, I mean, if I'm not really, really lean by the end of seven or eight months, then I'm, you know, there's either something wrong with, with the approach or, or um, with how I'm implementing it. Yeah. So it didn't need to change too much. Right, right. And you mentioned earlier that you're having diet breaks and you're going to bring your calories up to maintenance. Now, when you do this, does your cardio stay the same? Do you adjust cardio based on that? And how do the diet breaks tie in with your training? Are they typically aligned with harder training weeks or deloads? Has there been any specific uh, alignment with your nutrition to your training? And if so, do you mind discussing that? Sure. Yeah, so um, with the diet breaks, yeah. So let me think about the um, Okay, so um, yes, when, when I uh, – then they're basically not aligned to any specific – uh, time period, then they're not aligned necessarily with um, what do you call them, like deload weeks and mm-hmm. so on. Um, but yeah, basically we. Um, ah, sorry, can you repeat the question? I've just got a bit. Uh, <laughs> mixed up. You've got contest brain, uh, contest prep brain already, Evan. I do, I do. You need some more carbs, bro. Awesome, <laughs> awesome Pepsi Max. <laughs> as long as it's vanilla. <laughs> so the question was, do does your nutrition align with uh, certain phases in your training and do the uh, diet breaks specifically uh, align with uh, deload or harder training periods? Yeah, no, no, no. So, so they, don't, um, they don't align with any particular... Um, Time during the diet. I think there was something else that you were wondering, though, wasn't there? Like in regards to to the diet, um, to the to the diet breaks initially. When you asked that question, um, they don't align with with any particular um, any particular week of my training. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we basically just pre- oh yes, okay, that was the other question because there was Got a few it. questions in. There, that's when I was like, mm-hmm. damn, I can't think of what he was asking. Um, yeah, so um, do we change the cardio was mm. what you had asked as well. Um, last time we didn't change the cardio. Uh, we just actually kept it high. Mm-hmm. But uh, sometimes with my clients, I will actually bring the, the cardio down. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see that that would be the case this time. I'm not sure how Alberta will go about it. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think the, the idea is, is to dissipate um, fatigue. So that can be done via just bringing food up. It mm-hmm. could be um, uh, achieved also by a combination of bringing food up along with uh, bringing cardio down a little bit. 
Awesome, awesome. And cardio is pretty high for you at the moment. How uh, many calories are you aiming to burn per week, and what's the typical duration that you're, you know, pounding away at that treadmill at this stage? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, just that twelve hundred calories a week. Mm-hmm. How I typically do it, um, I like to do a fair bit of my cardio. I get it done up front. Um, so I'll go outdoors for if it's sunny for a walk on the beach. Um, so I live near that area um, in Sydney, and basically, if I can get outside, that that kind of really takes a big chunk of my cardio away. Mm-hmm. So I'll. That at the moment it ends up being about 700 calories that I get done outdoors, and I'll do that usually on, on the Sunday, so before the week starts, mm-hmm. and then I'll do a couple of sessions in the beginning of the week um, in the gym, mm-hmm. uh, or about you know just for the, for the remaining 500 calories. And I like to really just get it out of the way as soon as possible. If I can get mm-hmm. all my cardio done by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, somewhere between there, I'm feeling great because the rest of the week then I'm just focusing on lifting and, and so on and um, this is the same approach that last time in my prep and I found it really successful for managing fatigue um, just I, I you know a lot of us bodybuilders don't necessarily always enjoy doing cardio I mean mm-hmm. I enjoy it to a degree but when you have to do a fair amount of it it gets tiring and, and mm-hmm. boring and that type of thing so yeah I do try to kind of um, get it out of the way if I can Awesome. And do you have any specific requirements from Alberto in terms of when to do the cardio uh, based on when you're having your refeeds and so forth at this stage? Uh, when to do the cardio based on my refeeds? Um, no, not necessarily. Um, he just says, do, get, get this amount done. Yeah. And so I just go ahead and complete that. I... Um, do have my refeeds typically on at the moment Saturday, Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. and I'll do that fair chunk of cardio on this Sunday. But I mean, even if I had made that a low day, I'd be still I think doing that the same thing because a bit more time free on Sunday, mm. so I can really just bang out a big bit of the cardio, and um, I just don't even think about it a huge amount as cardio because it's just me it's just going for a walk on the beach yeah. and often I do that in off season anyway just for just for fun and like a bit of meditation time for me really. Yeah, yeah. It's all about the big picture and adherence. And one of the other questions I wanted to ask you about was when you're coming into a contest prep, what are some of the things that you do from a psychological standpoint? Like you mentioned that you have similar practices with your cardio in the off season as you do in the contest prep to make that transition easier. What are some other things that you do to prepare yourself mentally for your contest prep? To prepare myself mentally? Well, I know um, certainly leading into this season, I really was uh, cognizant of my body composition um, for, you know, a good at least six months leading up to it. So mm-hmm. I'd, I'd come back from a holiday in Europe I'd already done a mini cut just before the, kind of in the months before the holiday, coincidentally. And I was, so I was already fairly lean. I was even leaner when I came back from Europe. And then I kind of was like, okay, well, you know what? I, I feel like I kind of look pretty good now. I'm competing in about six months. I don't want to get too, I don't want to blow out too much, you know. So mm-hmm. what can we do? I just kind of like ate. I think it was probably in a slight surplus because, um, yeah, I kind of filled out a little bit more after coming back from Europe, but I didn't gain a whole bunch of fat. So that was kind of the approach that I took, just kind of like almost maintain until the contest prep um, mm-hmm. and just focus on the training in order to really, um, you know, just try to progress a little bit and make some, make some improvements where I needed to make them. And, yeah, I uh, ended up being pretty lean at the start of the prep. Um, and I think that's kind of the biggest change from what I did this time to uh, to last time, I was a good, um, you know, seven, eight kilos lighter than when I started my previous just prep, and that's, I think, just going to be key for me to to make this prep a bit easier. Mm-hmm. It's not um, in any way stressful for me. It's, um, you know, I can probably eat more for a longer period of time and that type of thing. Um, so I think that, that was probably my biggest um, thing coming into the 
prep, but in terms of just mentality, um, I mean, I knew it was coming up. Um, I spoke to Alberto a few months in advance. I said, okay, you know, like, let's plan this out. When are we going to start? You know, so I had it all up down. Yeah, I knew it wasn't a surprise for me. I knew exactly what was going on. Uh, I think, yeah, planning can be a key point for, for many people rather than just contacting a coach when you think, oh, well, I might start that now. Maybe you contact them too late. Mm. You know, um, you're better off planning it in advance if you can, and then it will all be much smoother. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And obviously, you're quite experienced when it comes to competing. You've competed in multiple seasons before. What have you learned from prep to prep to prep um, that has helped you become so, uh, I guess, relaxed and at ease with the contest prep? Because it's a very stressful period in many senses. So what are some key lessons that you've learned from all of your experience in getting on stage that allow you to manage stress uh, and your mindset during a contest prep? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things was allowing enough time. Mm. Um, initially, when I uh, started prepping, I was um, in my first show. I didn't prep at all, um, and then each one kind of got a little bit longer. So I would do eight weeks, ten weeks. I think with Lane, I did twelve weeks, and that felt like a long time at the time. Um, you know, because I was more, you know, dieting, dieting hard. You know, trying to get really Lean, lose 10 kilos in, in three months. Um, so I think just allowing a longer period of time because if you stuff up, if mm. something just doesn't go to plan, maybe you don't actually stuff up the plan and it's just like, you know, you have four weeks where you just don't lose any fat or lose any weight. Um, I mean, uh, that I think has, has really helped me to not stress because, you know, I know that if we really did have some type of obstacle, then we can work around it. Or, you know, we can, um, you know, push really hard if we need to, that type of thing. Mm. We, can, we can have time to have these diet breaks and so on and, and make things a little bit easier. So I think that's, that's one of the, the big things. Um, yeah, what else? I mean, I suppose just just little things that you learn along the way, like, um, what was I going to say? So, you know... <clears throat> Initially, I would have probably stressed about eating certain foods. I would have stressed about, um, you know, if, what happens if I don't hit my macros and that type of thing. Now I'll just, you know, look at it on a weekly basis. So mm. if you go over on one day, which I actually did on the weekend, I just, uh, because I'll have a few treats on my refeed days, usually I had some lamingtons. Uh, <laughs> American listeners know what they are, but they're like cake that we have here. And um, I had them, and I just forgot to track them, you know. And so I was like, a good like sixty carbs over, and you know, fifteen fat over, and all that type of thing. And it was like, okay, now I just need to mm. reduce that by an equivalent amount over several days. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, because I've done all that before, uh, I think also just like learning more of the science and that type of thing, um, learning about these types of approaches. Has, has helped me know, oh, you know, it's not the end of the world. Mm. I can easily just adjust this and it's not really going to make a, a difference uh, or yeah. significant at all. Yeah, awesome. That's some really good advice for anyone looking to compete and get in a, into a contest prep. And in terms of transitioning from the off-season into the fat loss phase, which is the contest prep, let's talk about your training. So... What changes, if any, have there uh, been in your training uh, from off-season to now? Yeah, so in the off-season, for a while I was working with Alberta, we were doing um, periodized plans. Just before I went to Europe, I stopped working with him. Uh, and, you know, just to have a break and just to kind of do, do my own thing for a while. Um, and so during that time, I more or less didn't periodize my training. I still did, of course, uh, deloads. I would change exercises when I got bored of them or I felt I just needed to change from this exercise, mm. but I kept the basics look the same. And I did that for about six months. Um, I also 
was managing and am managing uh, a couple of injuries because, mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, I'm still fairly young as a bodybuilder at 32, but I've been training for 15 years. So mm-hmm. that does, you know, take its toll on the body. Um, and so basically I ran that tub of split. I was training everything twice a week with the exception of, exception of shoulders, which I was training once a week, and back, which I was training three times a week because that is... I think my biggest week went. Now, going from that into the contest prep, um, initially uh, we, I spoke to Alberto and he said, Look, you know, I think you, you've, kind of, you know, you've got a few injuries here. You, you seem to have your training under control. Why don't we start off with you just managing your own training mm-hmm. and you can let me know if you, know, you want me to, um, to help out with that at some point. Um, and so after the first kind of Nisa cycle, um, I, which was kind of like um, just make up maybe a more planned version of what I was previously doing mm-hmm. with a few um, percentages uh, for percentage one RMs for the some of the main lifts that I was doing. Um, I then said, okay, now what I'd like you to do is you can plan my main lifts and I'll plan my secondary work. So actually, a lot of my secondary work is, is fairly similar. Mm-hmm. Changed a couple of things around. Um, but yeah, that's pretty similar. And uh, Alberto's kind of just set up a, a um, split for the main lifts, which for me, I'm actually not doing any of the, the big three. Um, uh, just mainly work around injuries. So I'm doing instead mm. of squat bench dead, I'm doing a hack squat, a uh, what am I doing at the moment? Like an incline dumbbell press variation, and a uh, rack, rack, press. rack. Mm. Yeah, so so I'm doing those and. Uh, not really doing any overhead pressing at the moment, unfortunately. I do like that exercise, mm. but the shoulder is the biggest thing for me at the moment, mm. and um, that's just not liking, not liking much overhead stuff. So I have to leave that out for a little bit, but um, luckily shoulders aren't really my weak point, so they're not really disappearing. Mm. Awesome, and I, th- I think there's a lot of really good points for bodybuilders and physique athletes to take from that is how important it is to manage injuries and appropriately select exercises during a prep because the last thing you want to have is an injury because if you can't train well, you know, you're going to potentially lose lean mass and bring a sub-par physique to the stage. So do you want to talk to us about, you know, what exercises you, why you chose those exercises and, you know, whether or not people need to squat, bench and deadlift, you know, during a contest prep? Yeah, totally. So I think, um, uh, you know, this is um, something interesting between somebody who is uh, advanced or experienced and somebody who is um, newer to training, maybe a beginner or intermediate. Those people might be uh, benefiting, benefiting a lot from doing squat bench and deadlift in their programming. Um, uh, you know, there might not be any reason why they shouldn't do those exercises. Mm. Now, in my case, I just have uh, a few injuries. Like they're not major injuries, but they're things that I just I, I don't really want to get worse. And um, so, technically, I can. Well, if I if I didn't have any other equipment, I could probably squat. Mm. Um, uh, but I have a right knee injury, um, which I haven't had really looked at. But I think it is just like a cartilage wear issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lower back injury which I have had for a long time which is like a uh, disc bulge or disc protrusion in my lump spine uh, and I have just an inflamed shoulder at the moment. I'm not entirely sure what it is but I think it's related to the joint always having been a little bit unstable mm-hmm. uh, a little bit looser than the other side um, so uh, yeah, the exercises that I am doing are instead of a squat, because with a squat, if I lean too far forward, back gets a little irritated to the point where it's just you know a bit mm-hmm. uncomfortable for the next you know the next couple of days. If I stay, if I really try to stay really upright, doing a high bar squat, the knee. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, uh, this is a problem. You know, I'm, I'm flaring mm-hmm. one or the other or both up doing this exercise. So. Well, now I'm doing a hack squat, which, you know, is probably, because it's a machine, it's maybe a little bit less stability required. I can push through both 
sides fairly evenly. Mm. Um, you know, because if you have an injury, sometimes you'll you maybe lean more to your good side, um, especially on a free weight movement, um, because yeah, the other side is sore and it doesn't push. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm doing that. Um, it also takes that takes all the stress off the lower back. So. Um, I don't have any issues with with that part. It's just you know there may be a slight irritation in the knee, but that's more or less every single leg exercise that I do will irritate mm. the knee to some moment. Um, and so that's that one. The rack pull um, because uh, funnily enough, I was doing sumo deadlifts, so that actually didn't irritate the lower back at all. So um, if I had done conventional deadlifts, which I haven't mm. done for a while now, they do irritate the back. So. Um, it's just that getting down into the deep part of the, of the sumo deadlift. So I thought, okay, well, it's really that knee range, which is the problem. So I'm going to have to start from higher up. So a rack pull, I suppose I could do a block pull, but the, the racks at my gym are just probably the perfect height. I just start mm-hmm. below the knee. And that seems to be giving me, um, you know, no problem for the back, no problem for the knee, but quite a good contraction to the posterior chain. Um, and then the... Uh, the, sh- the shoulder type of thing or the, the chest exercises um, have to be a incline uh, incline dumbbell press. I'm going to put it at about 45 degrees, so it's like a high incline, and I've just found that angle is about, seems to be the best. If I'm really upright, it's no good. If I'm too flat or in a slight incline, it's not as good either. Um, I really have to watch the loads that I'm using for that, so I'm training a little bit lighter, definitely sub-maximal, not necessarily going to failure and really watching the form. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I've, I've kind of got that down to, to that exercise for, for a combination between a horizontal and a vertical press, I suppose. I'm not really doing either of, either of them. It's just a hybrid kind of covering chest and, and shoulders at the same time. For the main lifts, anyway, mm-hmm. I do do some yeah that's awesome i think that's extremely important for listeners to understand is that there's no magic exercise to build muscle and that you know if you are carrying injuries during a contest prep you need to work around those as best you can to you know survive the course of your contest prep really and in terms of your program design evan you know as we diet down we start to you know, have lethargy increase, our performance starts to suffer and, you know, we can't lift the weights that we typically could lift. So how does your training adapt to that? Is it a big shift uh, towards auto-regulation and less prescribed uh, percentages and things like that? Talk to me. Yeah, so as we go along, um, I found that I tend to tolerate um, doing, I mean, some people will, will go ahead and cut volume straight away. Mm. Uh, we spoke about have, this. We do have talked about this before. Mm. Yeah. I, I, as you know, I um, just for the benefit of the, of the listeners, I will tend to keep my volume as high as I can. Not like trying to like push my maximum recovery volume type of thing, but just keeping it, um, you know, if I was working at some some certain level in the off-season, why not just keep it about the same going into the prep and then mm-hmm. eventually taper it down at this point, I haven't really noticed anything major. I've had maybe some slight decrements in performance. I think it was really last week because I had to change my whole training structure around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why did quickly. you have to change your uh, training structure? Evan? <laughs> Tell the listeners what you did. <laughs> yeah, so I did something a little bit stupid. Uh, I was a little the- bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was at the, at the Sydney Fitness Expo and they had one of these challenges. Now, I'm usually not one to do these these challenges because I'm like, you know, that's just stupid and it's kind of embarrassing as well to, to stand there and you have a whole bunch of people watching you. But, um, yeah, we came across this stand and I saw these people doing bicep curls and I was like, oh, okay, you know, they're just getting like, you know, they're getting some little shaker or something like that. But the guy said, you know, no, look, you know, you, you win a year's supply of protein, $2,000 worth of protein powder if you if you get the record for the day. I said, what's the record? About 400 reps with 15 kilos. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I can probably do this. Your form can be loose. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll give it a go. I'll see how it goes. After you're, after you're already at 100 reps in, 
there's not really any turning back at that point. Everyone's <laughs> like a big crowd building around you. And everyone's cheering you on. You're like, okay, well, I've just got to keep going now. And I'm like thinking in the back of my head, man, my arms are just going to be like terrible. This is going to ruin my training for the rest of the week. And it kind of, kind of did. When I finished, I didn't quite make the, the 400, unfortunately. So I didn't make anything at all. I did this for nothing. But arms were just like, just completely fatigued. It was actually my grip that had given out on one side. <laughs> As I was telling you earlier, I couldn't even hold my phone. I would pick my phone up and I'd just drop on the floor. So I was just completely gone. And then the next day I woke up and I couldn't open my arms like more than that. It was just like <laughs> so sore. It, it took four, four, uh, five days, five days until the, the doms went away. And they were fairly severe a week. Um, and so I really had to change my training around. I trained mm. legs during the week a couple of times and all the pushing muscles and so on, and then I left all the back and arm type of bicep training for the end of the week. And, uh, yeah, so I was like... What did Alberto say? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At first he was like, yeah, I saw that video, and I was like, why the hell are you doing that? But oh, um, no. he said, oh, look, you know, I understand it. I, I didn't realize there was quite a big prize on the line, and he said I probably would have done the same thing too. <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, by the end of the week, I was um, the biceps had kind of started to recover. So I was going ahead and training, you know, arms and, and back and stuff like that. And I did really feel weak doing that. But I mm. think it was just it was just related to the whole training split changing around and the you know the, the severe doms that I had all week and that time. This week, um, I feel 100% strength again. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, anyway, basically, I haven't really noticed, other than that last week, I haven't noticed any performance decrements at this point. But later on in the prep, I certainly, like speaking from last time, because it was really a similar length prep, so I think it's going to kind of mirror this somewhat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really probably noticed it. I definitely noticed my squat went down. Um, and I noticed my pressing movements went down probably somewhere into a couple of months into the diet, like two, three months into the diet, mm-hmm. just start to lose reps. And eventually I might have had to go down like, you know, uh, five or 10% weight on each of those movements just mm-hmm. so that I can keep the form good. Um, because I'm all for maintaining loads on exercises, but that, that was my next question. Yeah. Just, just with, within keeping. The, the correct, if you're using RPE, you know, you don't want to suddenly go from a 7 RPE to a 9 mm. because you're, you know, I've got to keep the same weight, you know. Work within the programming guidelines and work within correct form. So I wouldn't want to sacrifice form, um, certainly I'm not on a consistent basis because you, then mm. you just risk injury and mm-hmm. you're not really working muscles the same way, but you're just deluding yourself into believing, well, I'm getting the same reps, I'm keeping the same strength, but... Really, for most people, I have seen some people actually gain strength. And I think like uh, one of the other 3DMJ guys, Brad, might have actually increased mm-hmm. You know, he's like you know, uh, powerlifting and stuff mm. as well, and he's very much big on that. Um, he was actually, and he's such a smart guy as well that he was, he was able to maintain and, and improve some of his strength in the context. But for most people, particularly bodybuilders, I would say. Eventually, you're probably going to lose some strength, mm-hmm. if not muscular-related, just because your leverages change on things like your squat. Mm-hmm. You're going to lose weight from around your legs and your waist, and you just don't have as much cushioning there uh, for at the bottom of the movement. So all, the, all those leverages change. The same thing around your chest or your, around your back. You're going to lose fat, so your pressing's going to change. It's just mm. kind of the way it is. Um, so I, I kind of expect that, and I just go with the go with the flow, I will be somewhat assertive mm. in trying to maintain the strength but um, or the performance, but I, I won't get hung up on it. And I try to tell the same thing to my athletes, um, you know, just as we said there, keep the form, keep the mm. good. But certainly in that last like month or two, I would say definitely the last month, I remember, I think I completely dropped deadlifts eventually from my routine in the last couple of weeks. Um, and just, I, I changed, I did a lot more machine work, 
um, because at that time I was in America just a few weeks before the show. I was able to train, uh, luckily enough, at Gold's Venice, so they have so many machines there mm. that I was doing, doing, doing that. Because at that point, you're kind of just struggling to load the plate onto the machine, and then you do your set of 10 reps, and you yeah. and struggling to just recover. Mm. So um, I, I found that was probably the biggest change from the start to the finish would be that last month. Like, you just, me, I was just dead. Just training sometimes is enough and, you know, pushing yourself for those few sets. So that covers exercise selection, uh, I guess, as we get through the prep, we start opting for more machines and things that are less neurally taxing uh, on the yeah. bot and, you know, easier to recover from. And it also, we, yeah. we, we discussed intensity dropping. Now, you know, there's two schools of thought, you know, through contest prep and fat loss phases with, you know, yeah. program design. It's... Keep intensity for as long as you can, and that will maintain lean body mass, obviously being the objective during contest prep. And the other school of thought is, you know, we need to maintain volume. Um, so in, in these two things, like with your preps, uh, Evan, do you, you know, increase your frequency that you train a muscle um, or do anything to uphold volume, or is it simply following a very similar structure throughout the prep and just adjusting intensity and effort um, to make sure that you are meeting, you know, the required RPEs and you know, perceived effort in the gym. Um, I think for the most part, it's been um, maintaining that that volume. But last time I had Alberto um, program all my MIFA cycles throughout the contest prep, so there was some variation there. Mm. I would say about eighty percent was volume focused um, with some, you know, undulating some, some little higher, like you might have done some blocks that were, I remember I did one for about three weeks, which was all like high reps, 12 to 20. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, I think that was that was probably a bit of a punishment on my part because I told him, I do really well in high volume. And he's like, okay, it is high volume. <laughs> like, okay. um, <laughs> not that high. Not um, that high. <laughs> <laughs> And um, no, I'm sure he didn't punish me. But uh, anyway, basically, we ended up doing some strength blocks as well. And I, mm. I really, that I, I got some um, just like temporary injuries and that type of thing. And every time we would run it, run a strength block, I would, I would experience um, those. And these were a little bit later into prep, so I'm going to certainly. And Albert already knows because um, we, we um, obviously interact every week. Um, and so I'm going to be, be saying, look, you know, we really we don't need to go mm-hmm. there for me. Um, for others, yeah, you could probably include some of that. We, I think we're going to be just trying to maintain that volume as, as long as we can on average. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Alberta might throw something different at me. I know that in the off-season we've even done like something like a bro split before. I probably wouldn't be too keen to do that during contest prep. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, you know, he, he's kind of um, got at least 50% of control. We kind of work together in the training. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know about frequency. The thing is with, with the frequency, where I would put um, that up would be for more for the lagging body parts. So we'd probably mm-hmm. be dropping um, if, if need be. Um, and you would do this maybe in the off-season as well if you wanted to bring a body part up would be to drop volume for the uh, strong points that you have because they're going to maintain a little bit better um, and increase the uh, amount of volume for the weak points mm-hmm. because, you know, they are often the ones that just go away a little bit more easily and also if you were talking about building, they're harder to build. So, yeah, maybe maybe that, but the thing is, from back, I'm already training it with a lot of volume, like three times a week, so mm-hmm. I don't know go higher on that, maybe less volume but spread over five days or something like that we could do. Um, we could certainly probably go higher on my hamstring volume um, because that's another weak point that I have. But, yeah, you know, there's only so much time in the week. So at the moment I am only doing those. <laughs> I yeah. am only doing those twice. But, um, yeah, we might we might spread that out a little bit more, particularly mm. if we Suppose if we notice something is, is kind of like really getting weaker or it's really like 
visually not quite where we want it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe during a diet break phase or something like that. Yeah. Um, or I don't know if we'll do any maintenance phases, which was basically a diet break for a longer period of time. Um, yeah, uh, we may we may kind of do that, but um, I think for the most part, I'd I'd love to just see a fairly steady. Not much change through, you know, no crazy mm-hmm. changes inside. And then once eventually I'm really struggling, starting to struggle, let's say, um, we can certainly uh, start to adjust that volume down, downwards. But I think no no higher intensity stuff for me. I think that's mm-hmm. people who are completely physically healthy and, and are going to tolerate that well. And for shorter people too, they have to move less distance <laughs> yeah 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 actually this, this uh, guy at my gym he's like a shorter guy and when i was um squatting uh last year he was like man you've got to do so much more work than me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's exactly right and i guess the most important thing to take away from that is don't change things just because you've started a contest prep. Only change them when you really need to. You know, what build the muscle will most likely retain it best. And something else I want to yeah. ask ask you about, you know, your training, Evan, was how many days a week you're training? Is it six? At the moment, six. So Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really I really enjoy my training. So I, I love getting in there uh, six days a week and um, – yeah, uh, pretty much that. That just allows if you have more days in the gym, you can um, potentially do more total work. Right? Mm-hmm. It would be hard to do the same amount of work that I'm doing now, gym, uh, in say four days. And that leads me into my next question, which was, you know, as you go through your contest prep and you start to take a little bit longer in your sessions because things are just getting harder and obviously your focus energy starts to drop. Do you ever split your sessions into two in one day, uh, doing two-a-day training? Has this been something you've done in the past? Um, it'd be something I'm open to, but... Because um, a I lot of people do do it. Yeah, I mean, for example, I've seen like Steve Hall. Mm. Um, he's another guy who's prepping at the moment who has been doing that and implementing it, and he really loves it. I think it, it, it depends on practicality. I mean, I could do that with... with um, you know, my schedule with being a coach and so on, mm. open to doing that. But um, I don't know if I would uh, really enjoy doing it. Um, I like to kind of just get in there get it done. and my session might be, say, two hours, sometimes two and a half hours, and I just get that done for the day. Mm-hmm. And I can focus on then other things, um, whether it be coaching or creating content or whatever for, for other parts of the day. Mm. Um, it's almost like carrying mental baggage if you know that you've got to go in again and you know finish off what you started. Yeah, and it might mm. change your meal structure a little bit as well. Like mm. you know, um, in, at the moment I'm training uh, largely in the evenings, so I will you know have a couple of meals beforehand, and then I can just kind of have my meal before I go to bed after after the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you were training say in the morning and the night time, that's kind of probably about if you want to have a pre and post workout meal each, that's like you know one meal, sorry, two meals around each workout, and then it's like okay, maybe you put a snack in the middle of the day or something like that. When you're on limited macros, yeah, you've only got kind of so much to play with. Yeah, um, not quite efficient them to, but eventually, you know, they they really will be mm. um, to, to some point. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose like I'll see what. Alberto throws at me. I think more likely he'll suggest, hey, you're pretty fatigued at the moment. Uh, you might need to just have more rest days. Mm, yeah. He's kind of more somebody that would encourage me to do that because I'm somebody that's like so, you know, as I said, I love being in the gym. And mm-hmm. almost maybe sometimes I just need somebody to pull me back a little bit um, if I'm overworking myself. Yeah, I, I would say it'd be more along that lines, those lines. Mm. But yeah, I'm probably I'm, I'm too stubborn. I'm too stubborn. Like I <laughs> stay in the gym. I, I'll go back to five. I, I'll find it hard during a prep to go back to four days. Yeah. To be able to 
unless I was super fatigued and I really needed it just for a week or something. Yeah. Yeah, and it just goes to show how uh, how many options we have in a contest prep, and how many ways we can go about things to you know get a get a great outcome on stage. So yeah. with your cardio, I meant to ask you this earlier when we touched on cardio, but considering we're talking about training now, I guess this is a fitting time to ask. But you're obviously just walking, burning X amount of calories. Is there any point uh, at during your contest prep where you start to introduce different cardio modalities such as high intensity interval training, you know, moderate intensity training? Obviously, you've got your karate as well. Is that yeah. factored in? Is that something that is taken out? Um, good question. So um, last time it was all low intensity. This time mm-hmm. it's been all low intensity as well. Um, uh, in previous preps, with Lane, I have done high intensity intervals. That was a, a shorter prep. It did work well. Um, I think looking looking back, it probably uh, did. Well, I've, I've actually did test it. To be honest, last prep, I haven't told anyone about this, but during the start of last prep, tell us now. This is a JPS podcast exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I'd worked with Lane before, and 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 I was like so used to. You know, I thought like you know, hits the big thing. It was mm-hmm. like what was basically pumping out at that time, uh, and I was like, okay, I don't know about doing all this low intensity cardio, but hit is really the thing to do. Mm-hmm. So I tried. You know, I asked Alberto, you know, why why are we not doing any hit? He explained, you know, it can actually impact your performance in the gym and, mm-hmm. and, and on like the subsequent day. And uh, I was like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's Okay, so I tested it out, and I think I did um, a hit session, and then the next day, I did notice that I was definitely more tight in the gym, mm-hmm. and I actually got less reps, or I lifted less weight on my shoulder exercises. Right. That I was, you know, I was like, okay, maybe there's actually something to this. Mm-hmm. So, in my performance, that's going to be a bigger negative to me um, mm-hmm. than the potential extra fat loss and muscle retention benefits maybe for the mm. really just retention for the legs anyway um, and I'm, so I'm like okay well I'm gonna you know what now everything from now which so this was right at the start of that, I'm just gonna do exactly as you know how, as Alberto suggested mm-hmm. so basically did the low intensity the whole time um, I mean Alberto's not necessarily against using hit cardio either um, mm. nor am I but uh, I think it's best saved for, for shorter you know, preps. Really, yeah, shorter bursts if you really need. Mm. You know, um, we do know that it, it, it is very good for fat loss, but it's um, also, as I said, that, that performance thing. So yeah, risk Just reward. use it if needed. Mm. Yeah, and it's just kind of like something that I would just add on in smaller amounts to, um, to larger amounts of low intensity cardio, which doesn't impact recovery as much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all my all my cardio is um, outdoor, uh, outdoor, and also yeah, I do some indoor. I like using the bike mainly. Awesome. And how do you factor in the karate? So obviously, oh, yeah. being somebody who's done karate for over fifteen years. Is this something that you continue to do during your prep? Is there a point in time where you say, okay, the karate's got to go? How does that all work? Yeah. I mean, last time, I think, um, because... Do you put your energy tracker on for cardio and count your calories? Do I count them? Um, I thought about it. I thought about having my tracker on (laughs) um, because I'm like, you know, they're, they're actually like... They're quite energetic classes a lot of the time, particularly, yeah. you know, sometimes we have classes which are not mm-hmm. as much, maybe they're more skill-based and, and so on, but we have some which are really high intensity. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, that type of class, I'm really burning probably like 500 calories maybe because um, it's a good two-hour class as well. So um, with that in mind, you know, Alberto is – Last time, I think he said, oh, I just counted as 200 calories. And I was like, hmm. <laughs> you know what? With the, risk of, with the risk of injury and the amount of energy that I'm expending, yeah, right. maybe I'm better off just not including it. So I didn't include it at all last time I prepped back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And, which was good in the sense that I was able to be really accurate with what I was 
measuring doing formal cardio. Um, but I really found that once I went back to karate, I'd lost some of the adaptation. Not so much. Like, I had forgotten some of the skills a little bit. Mm. They came back reasonably quick, but it was more like my flexibility had really gone and took me a good six months to build that back up. So, oh, right. um, yeah, I want to keep it in. Um, usually in the off-season, I'll do one or two classes a week just because it's so – I mean, if I was doing more karate, it's just – it's not practical because mm. I – um, recovery wise and also um, you know just time because you know it's a two hour class and then I'm in the gym for two hours I'm exercising like four or five hours a day and then do both yeah so, really have to limit it just like one or two classes a week and then during prep it's like one class a week most of the time some weeks mm-hmm. I've had off if it's been like all my routines screwed up or something like that then sometimes I won't even get a class in but most of the time it's just once a week I haven't counting it at the moment mm-hmm. um, and I intend to basically keep the karate in um, throughout most of my prep until I'm at that point where I'm really feeling mm. like rubbish and then where maybe if I'm in class and I'm just like spacing off or something like that, maybe it's like, okay, now the time to pull the plug or just for the, the sake of, of not getting injured. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I might even continue to do the classes but avoid anything contact. Contact, like, yeah, right. That's probably really the only times I've gotten injured in karate other than mm. like a hamstring pull or something like that, which is I've like say like fractured a toe kicking somebody <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah, that actually originally I was gonna prep in two thousand nine for my first show. Yeah. And I ended up um, just as I was deciding to do that I ended up fracturing my toe. <laughs> Did you go on stage with the with a cast on your toe? No, no, no. no. So I, I, I'd basically been thinking about prepping, and I decided to not prep. Uh, right. To year because, uh, or, or to the end of that year because uh, you know I, I, I lost like you know some like muscle in my like, fair amount of muscle in the calf, and that's why like I couldn't yeah, take right. And um, yeah, and the leg was kind of you know ninety percent because I was only able to do like leg extension. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, <laughs> you've got to be careful of those sort of things. If you're doing other sports, like I have one client mm. who's horse riding, so like, mm, it's bit, oh. you know, it's fantastic that that, that person is doing the horse riding. So I'm a bit worried. Yeah. I had a similar situation, a client of mine uh, plays indoor soccer. He's just started his prep for uh, October, and I said to him, I said, you got to dish the indoor soccer. He's, yeah. and, he's, and he even said that he was going to start being the goalkeeper so that he could avoid contact. And I just said, no, nah, get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. But um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you uh, today yeah. was in regards to your peak week or, you know, the lead up to the stage, the final few days. And right. what methodologies uh, you've used in the past, plan on using this year, and do you practice your peak week uh, earlier in your prep to get a gauge uh, of how you're responding to certain macros, food intake, and so forth? Uh, okay, so uh, we've done a few different types of peak weeks, mainly front loads, so that means for anyone who's listening, uh, the um, carbohydrates are usually loaded higher further in the week. So with Lane, I think that was like Sunday or Monday that we started for the Saturday or Sunday show. So, you know, a fair bit. And then we basically did fairly simple, tapered the carbs down, uh, the protein and fats were in accordance, like the calories were adjusted because the carbs were higher, so the protein was a little bit lower, just moderate, um, and it would kind of alter and change as the carbohydrates went down, the protein mm-hmm. came up a little bit, the fats maybe stayed moderate throughout the week. And that was really the only peak week that we did with Lane because I just did the one show that day that was a real big prep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it went, went quite well. Um, and basically on the day of the show, I think he just said, eat these foods, like eat these amounts of these foods. So I had, you know, certain meals like sweet potato and steak, sweet potato and chicken, and a Subway sandwich before going on stage with certain mm-hmm. ingredients. Um, so some of that was anecdotal, uh, obviously, and some of it was more planned out. 
um, according to uh, scientific principles and so on. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) you know, basically as well, other things that we often have always done is not really change sodium too much Mm -hmm. on the day of the show. Usually we'll increase uh, sodium um, a little bit. Uh, in, the, in the case with Lane, it was like through just having a Subway sandwich with more sodium in it. Yeah. Um, with Alberto, it was a little bit more in the lines of um, eat this much sodium on the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, during the week as well, in both, in both cases, we kept That, that was the kind of prep that we did with Lane. It was, you know, the higher carbs for a whole, you know, starting at the start of the week and then basically tapering them down very smooth, keeping water the same, sodium the same, and a bit of higher sodium on the day of the show with specific foods. Um, now, with Alberto, we more or less took a front-loading approach as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a few different shows. Um, so the first show we did was just a diet break. Mm-hmm. So that was... Eat more food for the whole week. Keep doing everything else. Train normal. I think probably keep doing cardio as well. Um, and then on the day of the show, you're just going to have your same food again, and you're going to um, have like what you would have in your pre-workout meal um, for when you're going on stage, uh, or you know, an hour before you're going on stage or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the most simple kind of peak week we did. Um, then we did some proper peak weeks for the bigger shows. Um, so there was two more pro shows after that one. And what we did was we would have uh, the front load, but for a shorter period of time. So for like four days before the show. And the carbs kind of like were up. It depended on, on which show it was. So they generally, it wasn't like that high taper down. It was generally undulating a little bit. So it might have been... I think in one case it was higher carbs. Okay, bring them down a little bit to like moderate amounts for a couple of days. Higher again the day before the show, mm. and on the day of the show it might have been moderate, really mm. high and spaced out in All specific right. increments um, mm-hmm. depending on the division times and so on. Um, and yeah, so so that was we kind of took like you know slightly different approaches. With, with that for, for the two shows, but um, in terms of the ones I did with Alberto, but more or less um, pretty similar in, in terms of they were both had just slight undulations in the carbs, um, and but but kind of like high and just less dramatic than the one we did with Lane. Mm. Um, however, water was obviously the same. And sodium um, was more or less the same. I think in one case we brought sodium down a little bit the day before the show. It might have been a high-carb day. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then brought it back up, usually to a higher amount on the day of the show. And I was, I was told specific amounts. And I think generally those shows were, here are some recommended foods. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, what are the foods you typically eat show day? Uh, like the safe foods were like white rice, apple, banana, those type of foods um, that are not going to cause any reaction for 99% of people. I think we did say avoid dairy a couple of days out. Mm. Uh, uh, and I, that was the case with Lane as well. Uh, mm. Perhaps some people just don't react well to dairy. Mm. Um, and so it's just more of a let's be uh, better safe than sorry type of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, it was just eat what you, you like. So I remember, uh, at the first show, which was the diet break one, it was like, I had sweet potato and kangaroo sausages and something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I had, there's a picture that gets put up with me pretty frequently where I'm all tanned up and I'm eating a Pop-Tart, so it was a pumpkin pie. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just the full stage when I was pumping up. Yeah. Foods that I'll eat when I'm pumping up, yeah, that type of like sugary foods might be some jelly snakes or something like that. Might be even like strawberries I've had good luck with. Um, maybe something salty and has a bit of fat like peanut butter as mm-hmm. well. Um, 
there's some type of things that I eat, but just generally you're like you're pretty safe carb sources, sweet mm. potato. Maybe a white rice. I'd probably go for sweet potato because I'm hungry. Yeah. More than anything. Yeah. I did have one bad experience with the sweet potato, which was at the PNBA World Cup mm-hmm. in LA. And that one, uh, I had 600 carbs to eat for the day. So one of my meals. What did you do? A huge amount of sweet oh, potato. No. <laughs> and I'd had it two hours or so before the stage, which was lucky that I had it that far out. Because I ended up like the GH type of gut, like mm. really bloated because of so much food volume. And um, luckily, it eventually went down because I, I started pumping up like really more than an hour after the going on stage because I thought, okay, I'm on stage. Mm-hmm. And so I started pumping up, and I think it kind of maybe got everything moving through and maybe even pushed the carbs lack of better term push the carbs into the muscles mm-hmm. um, and so yeah my stomach wasn't like protruding massively on stage which yeah it was, it was looking pretty bad so. yeah I, I see that uh, quite often a lot of people uh, just offer big you know meals and you know high volume foods on the day of a show and it's it doesn't end well you need to really monitor that and then just stick to foods that you know uh, sit well in your stomach, I guess. And the yeah. final question I have for you, Evan, is what is your pre-stage pump-up routine? What does that look like? Reveal the yeah. secret with us. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I will want to start. One time I stuffed up again. I'm going to tell you one stuff For one of my shows, and I think we were just like being really slow with the girlfriend at the time was, was putting the tan on. I must have, maybe it was probably more my fault. I must have not allowed enough time mm. to get ready for, for the um, my my vision, and um, so after we put the tan on, the guy was like, "You're on stage in five minutes," and I was like, "I'm oh, no. done." Like, oh, shit. So I went on stage flat. I'd done like a, a couple of sets of push-ups or something like that. <laughs> that certainly taught me plan out your time, make sure you put yeah. enough time, tan on in advance, and that you will have enough time to pump up. So I like to have. 20 minutes at least to pump up. Yeah. Um, I will, if I'm doing a show in Australia, I'll try to bring some dumbbells with me because I feel like I just get like a little bit of a better pump with free weights mm. than I do with men. But of course, when you're overseas, um, you maybe you're lucky enough to have some dumbbells there, but otherwise I have bands with me. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do like a little circuit um, and I'll do something like, um, you know, uh, bicep curls, I'll do a tricep exercise, which is usually like a close grip push-up, regular push-ups mm-hmm. as well. Just um, something with the shoulders is usually just like side raises. Yeah. Um, uh, what else do I do? What else do I do? Rows for the back. I tend to avoid pull-ups um, because um, basically sometimes people are using oils and stuff at these shows. Now, if you jump up onto a bar and somebody's had oil in their hands, you fall. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're in, not only not competing in the show, you might yeah. be in hospital. So um, <laughs> I, I always avoid that for myself and my clients because, I mean, you don't need to be really doing pull-ups, do you? No. Um, you can do both. You can do, um, like, uh, with, with towels, like, rowing like this, or you can yeah. do, like, a pull-down like that, like, by bending forward and having either the bands or somebody holding um, a towel. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are my, that's my back. And chest, triceps, biceps, shoulders. Yeah, so that's that's all I do. I don't do any ab pumping up. I don't do any leg pumping up. And I'll do that. That'll be kind of like one circuit. I'll have a two-minute break or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have a sip of water. I'll have some of those foods that we mentioned. Pop-tarts. Pop-tarts. And, and then I'll go and I'll do um, another set. And we'll just kind of repeat that mm-hmm. and just kind of like look at, at in the mirror and so on, okay, am I pumping up everywhere? Okay, the biceps are pumped, I need to do a bit more chest, we'll do more, more sets of mm-hmm. So, yeah, just kind of going that and then just trying to make myself look as big as possible without being like, I think you can probably pump too much as well. Like, you can mm. pump to the point where just like it almost obscures definition. So, you've got to be like, you got to be a little careful and you also got to be careful not to be like absolutely exhausted when mm. you get on stage. And you can't pose properly, you're going to be shaking, 
you're going to be sweating everywhere. Already mm-hmm. the lights are hot, so you don't want to be just like dripping with sweat and you're constantly touching your hand up when you mm-hmm. just walk on stage. So that's kind of like my tips for, for pumping up, yeah. That's awesome, man. That was uh, very comprehensive. Thank you very much for that. Well, guys, that's another episode of the JPS Podcast Down. Thank you, Evan, so much for your time, man. We really appreciate it. We can't look. Uh, can't wait to see you in June for some more Pepsi Max uh, couch chats and yeah. bagging Joey Zucchini. So, Evan, I will see you next time. Thank you very much again for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me.